many times have we marched already this year? This is the ninth day of the third month, and there are only a handful of days before there will be another artificial changing of the time for purposes that may not necessarily make sense. At the risk of putting a germane fact in this introduction, legislation to study the practice failed in this year's General Assembly. I'm Sean Tubbs, marching on for another day no matter what time the sun sets. On today's program, Albemarle and Charlottesville announce several arrests in recent gun violence. A second person files paperwork to run for supervisor in Albemarle County's Whitehall District. The Weldon Cooper Center will soon become part of the Karsh Institute of Democracy at the University of Virginia. Albemarle County will hand out $100,000 in grants to help reduce greenhouse gas emissions. More from the Charlottesville City budget, including questions about how much more money is involved for transit this year, and information from Pluvanna, Louisa, and Nelson counties from the recent meeting of the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society operates the Hatton Ferry, a historic way to cross the James River at Scottsville. They're looking for volunteers, operators, and interpreters to help run the ferry between April and October. If you would like to learn how to operate the ferry and or share its history with the community and visitors and can commit to shifts this season, please join the ACHS at their community day on March 14th. You can RSVP on Facebook or consider a donation. Want to know more about the Hatton Ferry? Take a look at Seavillepedia. Both Albemarle County and Charlottesville Police have announced the arrest of individuals alleged to be involved in recent gun violence. This morning, Charlottesville Police announced the arrest yesterday of 19-year-old Ramequa Antonio Nicholas of Charlottesville in the February 22 murder of 20-year-old Gordonsville resident Nicholas Pendleton. The suspect was taken into custody yesterday after an investigation involving the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the United States Attorney's Office, and the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. Yesterday, officers with the Albemarle County Police Department arrested a 13-year-old at a private school on Earliesville Road after a tip that the person had a firearm. The release states that upon seeing the officers, the armed juvenile suspect fled the area on foot and was found hiding in a dumpster and was taken into custody without incident. The release states that police believe the person is linked to recent gun violence. This morning, Albemarle Police announced the arrest yesterday of 21-year-old Takarius Orlando Cato Anderson on charges filed in the city of Charlottesville. They are two counts of malicious wounding and two counts of using a firearm in the commission of a felony. A second candidate for supervisor has emerged in the Whitehall District, creating the possibility of a contested race for a second election cycle in a row. Brad Rickle of Crozet has filed a statement of organization with the Virginia Department of Elections to run as an independent. According to an August 5, 2022 article in the Crozet Gazette by Teresa Curry, Rickle is a Crozet resident who produces a podcast on local affairs. 
if he qualifies for the ballot, Rickle would face Democrat Ann Malik in the November 7th election. Malik is seeking her fifth term and fended off Republican Steve Harvey in the 2019 race. Rickle confirmed his candidacy with me this afternoon and said he will release more information soon about why he is running. His podcast is available on Apple Podcasts. Meanwhile, another internet talk show host who has previously declared a candidacy in the Scottsville district has not yet filed paperwork and has not responded to several questions. So they shall not be identified. Change is coming for one of the University of Virginia's most public-facing institutions. The various entities that have been under the umbrella of the Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service will now be moving to the Karsh Institute of Democracy, as reported in an article by UVA Today. This includes the Virginia Institute of Government, the Sorensen Institute of Political Leadership, the Center for Survey Research, and the Center for Economic and Policy Studies, as well as the Demographic Research Group. The latter provides the official population estimates and forecasts for the Commonwealth of Virginia. The announcement dates back to last July, and the change takes place on July 1st. The name Weldon Cooper will continue to be used in some capacity. In response to a question from me, Alexandra Rebhorn, the Director of Communications and Engagement for the Center, said that the Center has a long history of supporting good governance across the Commonwealth and that they intend to keep the name of the Center intact. The Center's origins date back to 1931, according to materials on the Center's website. UVA and the Virginia Municipal League in 1931 established the Bureau of Public Administration to help Virginia localities deal with the effects of the Great Depression. In 1969, that bureau was renamed the Institute of Government. In 1987, the institute merged with the Taylor Murphy Institute. The Weldon Cooper Center for Public Service became the new name in 1994. Weldon Cooper was a secretary to the Board of Visitors who advised many UVA presidents before his retirement in 1973. The Karsh Institute is named after Martha and Bruce Karsh, who donated $50 million to the $100 million effort to bring all of UVA's centers on government and policy under one umbrella. The new building will be located in the Emmett Ivy Corridor. Last December, the Buildings and Grounds Committee of the Board of Visitors debated its architecture with some members decrying the lack of brick. Nearby, off of Old Ivy Road, is the Center for Politics. Last week, the same panel approved the basic concept for an expansion of the center that includes extension of a road to Leonard Sandridge Drive. Rebhorn said the center is still in the process of identifying how each unit will refer to itself under the new arrangement. Do you work for a group that may have a project that you think could demonstrate ways to reduce greenhouse gas emissions? Albemarle County has announced a grant program to encourage innovation as a way to meet the goals to reduce emissions from fossil fuels to zero by 2050. Here's a section from the website. Projects can contribute to reducing greenhouse gas emissions in transportation, buildings, waste, agriculture, and natural areas. Projects can also contribute to increasing carbon sequestration in agriculture or natural systems. Eligible organizations or groups must physically be located in Albemarle County. Grants will be between $5,000 and $25,000. The idea comes from other communities where examples include bike racks, energy-efficient windows, or enhanced recycling. The application deadline is April 30th. Visit the Albemarle County website for more information. 
You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out. WTJU wants you to know that the second annual Seaville Puzzle Hunt is coming. Save the date for Saturday, August 26th for this citywide cerebral puzzle for you and your friends to solve. Before then, wet your puzzle-solving appetite at WTJU's Puzzle Hunt Preview Party. Thursday, March 16th, 7 to 9 a.m., 7 to 9 p.m. at the Looking Glass at Ix Park, featuring music, drinks, and a mini puzzle to get you warmed up for the main event in August. Everyone is invited to this free preview party. Please register at SeavillePuzzleHunt.com to attend. more segments to go today. For a reporter who has covered more than a dozen budget cycles, it's a bit jarring to have to look at material in a new way. But the world changes, and so has the way the Charlottesville budget is available for review as the city's budget process really gets underway. The budget is now available online as part of an interactive website. There's a lot more detail available, and all of it can change as the council goes through their review beginning with tonight's work session. Time, unfortunately, is not enough to allow me to go through all of the budget, but here is at least some of what's in the new document. All of the familiar elements of a budget document are here in this form. That includes the budget message from Interim City Manager Michael C. Rogers. Rogers writes that the budget this year is a 6.27% increase over the fiscal year 23 budget. The basic 101 about how budgeting works is also in the new interactive document, There are those who would tell you that this stuff is boring and not worth paying attention to, but more people should know some of these items. If you don't know any of the terms, ask me. All budgets are presented on the modified accrual basis of accounting, under which revenues are related assets are recorded when measurable and available to finance operations during the year, and expenditures other than compensated absences and interest on debt are recorded as the related fund liabilities are incurred. Revenues considered prone to accrual consist primarily of property taxes, certain grants, and sales and utility taxes. Any property taxes that are not due as of June 30th are recorded as deferred revenues. While this may be dense, the information is all there waiting for anyone to learn. This section also explains the fund structure for Charlottesville, which consists of the general fund for operating expenditures, enterprise funds for specific functions such as city utilities, the capital improvement program fund, and other miscellaneous funds. One thing about the new Budget Explorer is that you can see how much each particular division will receive and has received historically since FY20. For instance, there are now 46 full-time equivalents in the city manager's office. Some highlights from that office, the budget for the Human Rights Commission will increase 72.61% to cover two additional full-time positions. The budget for the Police Civilian Review Board will increase nearly 32%, in part to cover a management analyst position. The Office of Equity and Inclusion will increase... The Office of Equity and Inclusion will increase nearly 28% to nearly $1.2 million. This is in part to cover the costs of the new positions of a homeless coordinator and a ready coordinator. A new Office of Emergency Management is now within the city manager's office, and there are two people there. The new Budget Explorer is quite detailed. 
For instance, we learn that the budget in the Office of the City Manager for Advertising increases from 10000 to 20000 There aren't always answers in the budget document, and I will listen out for what I'm looking for as I go through the various work sessions. For now, I do have these questions on transit I will ask publicly in the hopes that someone else will notice. The budget for Charlottesville area transit operations increases from just over $11 million to nearly $14.3 million, a 29.58% increase. This includes $2.3 million for a jaunt pass-through. What's the explanation for that increase? And why is $250,000 under UVA miscellaneous revenue not included for fiscal year 24? More on the budget and those details as time permits as we go through. The Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission is made up of five counties and the city of Charlottesville. Like similar bodies across Virginia, the TJPDC's mission is to help those localities with both planning and implementation. For instance, the TJPDC is currently leading a 13-county effort to use federal funding to leverage private dollars to expand broadband internet across southern and central Virginia. Locally, the body now collects county-issued cigarette taxes. The Board of Commissioners meets monthly and provides an opportunity to check in with what's happening around the region. All across Virginia, it is budget time, and that includes Louisa County, where Rachel Jones represents the Green Springs District on the Board of Supervisors. Our assessments went through the roof. I think many of yours probably did too. It's not just Louisa County. It's been hard for our residents um, to take that. Last year, we did make some adjustments to our personal property tax, and I think discussing possibly figuring out if there's anything we can help with our assessments. Fluvanna County also has higher real property assessments, according to Supervisor Tony O'Brien. We're up, I think, about 17 percent, which our equalized rate would be 77 cents or something like that. The equalized rate is something Virginia Code requires localities to publish that represents what the tax rate would need to be to keep revenues neutral. O'Brien said a big item in the budget is a long-term plan for the county to run its own emergency medical services department. Next, Nelson County Supervisor Jesse Rutherford said his locality is also thinking new ideas about linking real property taxes with the provision of housing to residents versus tourists. The board members have some thoughts on uh, real estate tax litigation uh, for uh, people who choose to have long-term rentals, especially in homes that were dilapidated and were remodeled. And so what does that look like? Rutherford also said that Nelson County is past the middle of its comprehensive plan update, which he said is getting into the nitty-gritty of data, such as commuting patterns. For instance, 1,660 people live and work in Nelson, and 4,837 commute to jobs elsewhere. The number of Nelsonians, or not Nelsonians, but people would have to come into Nelson County to work Nelson County jobs, and that number is above 2,000. So, you know, we, we had a really long, lengthy discussion recently in our conference plan about what that data means to us. You know, does that mean we want that 4,800 to live and work in Nelson County? Does that mean we want those 2,000 to be able to infiltrate our our uh, our uh, economy in Nelson and live, that 2000 Rutherford said the average home sales price is over $400,000, which is way outside the range of many commuting for those jobs. 
He said that Amherst County is also playing a role in Nelson's workforce. We've come to the realization that Amherst County is having to fill a lot of our uh, talent-specific roles and a lot of our kind of low-end, like, infiltration of certain career paths. So Amherst County is fielding our jobs just as Nelson County is fielding the jobs of Albemarle Charles, which is a very perplexing thing to be in a rural county context. And one day, when Charlottesville community engagement is able to expand, there will be many more stories about all of these things. For now, we leave it there and hope to be back soon with more. At the outset, let me thank Fiori Floral Studio for all your floral needs. That's for help with today's podcast. Today is another busy, weird day with a trip to Lynchburg happening as soon as I hit send. And then back here in the morning. I do not like to take time off because with my subject matter, there is always something to write. One more week of weirdness and then perhaps more weirdness. Yet there will always be something just about to happen on this feed and I'm here for that. All because of my subscribers. One in four of you pay, and Ting will match the initial payment through Substack. And for this, I am grateful. I literally need to shave off as much time as I can in production, so I'm going to say goodbye.